0: And open your Bible as you turn your phone off. Open your Bible. (laughs) See, I'll work that right in there. To 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to encourage you this morning to do something that I don't know if you would be encouraged by anyone else to do this in our culture. I want to, in all sincerity and honesty, and with all the uh, transparency that I can, I would like for you today to be challenged to embrace the ordinary, not the extraordinary. My challenge to you this morning is going to be for you to embrace your ordinariness. That is a word. I looked it up. <laughs> because we, we are constantly challenged, we're constantly told that we have to find the champion within us, that we have to find the extraordinary within us, that we have to find that which sets us apart from all others. We have to realize, remember, you're an original just like everybody else. <laughs> we're, 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 we're encouraged to, to, to find that which would make us special from all others. But this morning, that becomes exhausting. That becomes tiresome. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to embrace plain, ordinary you. And I want to to encourage you to do that based upon the life of a man that we will see this morning whose name was David. We've been looking at his life in these last few weeks and Today we're going to look at when he was called to be king and anointed to be king. But I've titled the sermon, Meanwhile in the Meadow, because it was in the meadow where the most ordinary things were, and it was in that meadow that David was prepared for an extraordinary God to do great things through an ordinary life. See, leading up to chapter 16, you remember we saw last week that that Israel, they're seeking a king, they're they're chasing this crown, and they thought they had found the one, they they thought they had found the man, the king, who would bring them stability and success and prosperity, and that king's name was Saul. And Saul started off well, but man, he bombed quickly. And and Saul became uh, 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 an egotistical, arrogant, pompous leader. He, was, he built a monument for himself. He, he thought that half obedience was enough, and, and Saul ended up being a disaster. And, and Samuel, who's the prophet in the nation at this time, he is deeply distressed over how far Saul has fallen. He's deeply distressed about how that this king that they pursued, it was not working out. Saul had become a man who was faithful to no one but himself, and Samuel's heart was broken. That's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where it says in verse 1 that the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and he said, do you come peaceably? So Samuel is going to Bethlehem. He's going there to offer a ritual sacrifice, but he has another agenda to choose a new king. The entire city would come together for this event, and Samuel was to make sure that this man Jesse and his sons were there. Verse 5 tells us that uh, Samuel said, I'm here peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Imagine the atmosphere, as word spread through the crowd, that this was more than just a sacrifice, that there's going to be a new king who is chosen. And imagine the, the chatter that began when it was learned that this king was going to be one of Jesse's sons. And as each of those boys comes before the crowd, they're going to do their very best to look kingly. Look at what it says in verse 7. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is the heart of this passage. God does not look at that which we tend to value and look at. God does not look at the outward. God looks at the heart. He looks at the inward. God is not impressed with our physicality. God is not impressed with our resume. God is not impressed one bit with our bank account. God looks at the heart. Now, is that good news or is that bad news? I mean, when we think about it in one sense, it's good news because some people, some of us so desperately try to be someone who's impressive, and it's not the person for whom God is seeking and for whom he's looking. In another sense, it's bad news because, let's be honest, who here feels like they have the kind of heart that God wants? Look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. All of these boys are trying to cram their foot in the slipper, and it's just not working. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. The youngest, that word in Hebrew is quite interesting. Some people look at the word youngest and scholars much smarter than I will tell us that that word has the connotation of the runt. You ever, uh, if you ever have uh, had a litter of pups, there's always generally a runt, the smallest of them all, the one that's the weakest of them all, and there's reason to think maybe David was this way. He's keeping the sheep. I mean, that's the, the lowest task. It requires no skill set. It's a, it's a task that was oftentimes reserved for the lowest on the ladder, even many times the slaves who would have that job. There's nothing really impressive about David at the outset. In fact, verse 12 tells us that he sent and brought David in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And I would imagine the brothers, this is in the text, this is Jonathan reading into the text, that the mouths of the brothers go hit the floor and the eyes of Jesse grow wide because David is the last one that they would think would be the king. Verse 13 tells us that, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samuel from, or excuse me, upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David was ruddy, which uh, scholars think it means he was uh, redheaded, freckled, dirty, disheveled, tan, smelled like the pasture. but hey, on the bright side, he had nice eyes, he was handsome, so there's that. I mean, the point is that David doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a man of war. He doesn't look like a warrior. He looks like a runt kid with a little, he's Justin Bieber Bieber before all the tats, okay? Or he's one of the Jonas Brothers. This is not someone who looks very impressive to anyone. But although he was unimpressive on the outside, David is the man that God chose Now, I want to, for the rest of our time this morning, as we look at that text, we look at those verses, I want to mention to you three things that just stick out, jump off the page, that I think will help us understand that we can just embrace how ordinary we are today and watch God do something great through it. The first thing I want to say is this, David was the definition of ordinary, He was the definition of ordinary. In fact, one of the purposes of this text is to highlight to us just how ordinary David was. You say, Pastor, but his life turns out to be extraordinary. You know, Goliath, the Psalms, the whole king thing. And and granted, all, but remember, all of that results from the Spirit of God that comes upon him. David becomes extraordinary, not because there's anything extraordinary about him. He becomes extraordinary simply because God's spirit was upon him. You see, As a Christian, I'm not supposed to be extraordinary. As a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be an ordinary person in a relationship with an extraordinary God. We are a bunch of nobodies pointing everybody to one big somebody. And we can't do that unless we embrace that we're ordinary. You ever heard us? There's this book, uh, Apologies in Advance to Cat Lovers. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not writing the mail, I'm just delivering it, all right? There's this book called Cat and Dog Theology. Great little books. We got me many years ago. Basically says this: okay, you come home from work, and there's your dog, and your dog looks at you, and your dog thinks. You feed me, you take care of me, you play with me, you provide for me, you must be God. The cat, on the other hand, looks at you and says, "You feed me, you take care of me, you change my litter box, I must be God." <laughs> see a lot of us are well, a lot of us have the cat theology, <laughs> a, a lot of us think that we are the extraordinary one to whom God must cater. We need this morning to simply embrace the ordinary in us. Why? Because if we don't do this part if we don't embrace the ordinariness in us the next part can't happen. Because it's not just that David was the definition of ordinary but I want you to secondly notice that God did the extraordinary through ordinary David. Verse 13 is very important. Verse 13 tells us that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of God caused David's external life to become extraordinary. The Spirit of God in our lives is a game changer. It is the Spirit of God that came upon Gideon and allowed him to take 300 men and defeat an entire Midianite army without suffering one single casualty. It's the Spirit of God that enabled Samson to kill a thousand Philistines with nothing but the jawbone of a donkey. It was the Spirit of God that infiltrated the early church, that caused them to defy the Roman Empire, giving their lives to boldly testify about Jesus because they were filled with with the Spirit of God. Friend, we need to embrace your ordinariness this morning because it's only when you stop trying to be Saul that God can do the extraordinary through you. You see, God takes the ordinary person and he pours his power into them. Let me frame it this way. There's only one person in your life who can be seen as great. There's only one person that can be somebody in your life. Are you willing to let that somebody be God? David was the definition of ordinary. And it was because of that that God had extraordinary things through him. But the third thing I want you to see is this. Is that God used that meadow, that ordinary man and that ordinary meadow to prepare David for the extraordinary. Just just notice in your Bibles that in verse 13, the Spirit of God comes upon David. But notice the space, that, that white space between verse 13 and verse 14. After the Spirit of God came upon David, what did he do? He went right back to the meadow. He went right back to the place where he was doing the ordinary mundane stuff. David had just had a massive high point moment. Samuel, the greatest prophet in Israel, sought him out, explained that God had chosen him as king and anointed him. And from there, David did not go into the elite king training program. From there, David did not go to Walmart to try on robes, and crowns. He went back to the meadow. In fact, a few years later, when they go to find David, they have to go to the backside of that meadow, of that pasture, to find him. God used the meadow to prepare his king. You see, in our lives, it is in the meadow of our lives in which God builds into us his skill and his Character. Think about, for just a second, think about David's time in this meadow. What would he have been doing during that time? That meadow was a place of obscurity. No one paid attention to him in the meadow. That meadow was a place of monotony. If someone were to ask him, David, what did you do today? I watched the sheep. They walked. I watched. Played a little bit of harp. Wrote a couple of songs. Played around with a sling a little bit. It's the same thing, day in, day out. It was a place of, of uh, obscurity and a place of night. It was a place of suffering. The meadow was a place of suffering. David is in this meadow partly because Saul is chasing him, trying to kill him. And he's in this meadow because he's, at least for part of the time, on the run for his life. But you see, the reality is that the meadow, that is where God developed David's skills. That slingshot that he would use to keep those predators away from the sheep, that came in handy a few years later, didn't it? When he used it against a giant who was threatening to defy his God. That harp that he just kind of strummed around with while he's out there in the meadow, that becomes significant because he becomes one of the greatest musicians to ever live. And we read his music in the Book of, of Psalms, that patience that he had to learn and cultivate out there doing that monotonous stuff day in, day out, that developed in his heart a patience to wait and to trust, which you will see later in our study comes in to be very valuable for David's life. Look, I want to, to, to take you to a place in Psalm. It's Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. Look at what it says. It says God chose David, his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him from the meadow to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. Look at verse 72. With upright heart David shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. With an upright heart and a skillful hand. That occurred in the meadow. His heart became upright right while he's waiting in the meadow. His skills increased as he waited in the meadow. This is good news for us today, for all of us today. Hear me this morning, God still works in the lives of His people while they are in the meadow. The meadow is where God develops you. It is where God is doing the extraordinary through ordinary you. Moms, you change those diapers, you prepare those meals, you chase those kids as they grow up, and you think, what is the point? You're in the meadow, it's monotonous, it's obscure, you're doing it day in, day out. What if one of those kids grows up and leads thousands to Jesus Christ? That occurred, the training occurred while that child was in the meadow. Or you think you're in a a dead-end job. You think that there's nothing forward for you. Only God knows what can be done with your faithfulness while you were in the meadow. Students, you're looking at the, the coursework and the homework. You're learning things that you might think are absolutely useless. Granted, the quadratic equation, I ain't used it one time since I learned it. Outside of that, you think... It's useless, it's pointless. God is working in you in the meadow character, patience, and humility. My encouragement to you this morning, do not despise your meadow. It is God's lab for forming in you the heart he wants. And if you desire to be a person after God's own heart, like David, God will have to prepare your heart like he did David's, and he prepared it in the meadow. You see, this narrative is not primarily about you. This story as every other narrative in Scripture, is intended to point you to a story greater than your own. You see, David's ordinary life that was made extraordinary by God is meant to point us to Jesus. Think about the similarities between David and Jesus from this text. David is ordained, he's anointed, the Spirit of God comes upon him. He goes back to the meadow and spends the next decade in obscurity and suffering. Jesus' life follows a similar pattern, only better because it yields better results. David was a shepherd, a blue-collar job with no real skill set. Jesus was a carpenter with a blue-collar job, pretty ordinary. He was not a rising ruler. David was anointed, and by the oil, symbolized the Holy Spirit, Jesus was anointed, and the Holy Spirit at his baptism descended upon him like a dove. David was taken out into the meadow. Jesus, after his anointing, was taken out to the wilderness, his meadow, and was tested there for 40 days. Jesus, like David, wasn't ushered to the throne. In fact, Satan tempted him with a throne that would shortcut the meadow and the suffering. But Jesus focused on God's kingdom, and his life on earth was spent in obscurity, suffering, and the cross. It was not spent in power. It was not spent in privilege or prestige. But the reality is that God used the life of Jesus in the meadow to save the entire world. You see, God builds his kingdom through ordinary people. God builds his kingdom through people who suffer. God builds his kingdom through people who are faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 tells us this. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. It is God who has anointed us guess where you as the anointed might be headed not to a throne Maybe you're headed to a meadow. But you see, here's the good news. Jesus has reached the throne already. And because Jesus has reached the throne, and because He is there now, we will one day share with Him that eternally. You don't have to get the throne in this life. You're promised eternity with Jesus who is seated on the throne in the next life. So this morning, we are going down one of two paths. Some of us are going down the path of David. That's a path of resting in your ordinariness so God can work in your life His heart while you're in the meadow. The result is that God does the extraordinary in you and through you. Or you can take the path of Saul, the path of self-perseverance and striving to be anything other than just normal. The result's a life that rebels against God because you're not satisfied in God. Which path are you on? Which path do you need to be upon? You see, if we spend our entire lives trying to be all that in and of ourselves. It is exhausting. And it's frustrating. Because right about the time we get to where we think we're all that, we see somebody else who's all that plus one. And then we think, I've got to do more. 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 And listen. You don't have to do anymore because Jesus has done it all. You don't have to be great because Jesus is great. The greatest thing about you that could ever be said about you is not your accomplishments, it's not in how large a family you have, it's Not in how large a bank account you have. The greatest thing that could ever be said about anyone is that they had a relationship with God who's greater than all. Do you have that relationship today? In just a second I'm going to pray. After I pray we're going to stand and sing. I don't know what God has placed upon your heart to do today but if you have a question about what it means to follow Jesus, if you need to make a decision in that regard, if There's something else God has placed upon your heart to do today. This is a time in which you can make that commitment to God. To simply say to him, yes, to whatever he's calling you to do. Father God, how thankful we are that Jesus paid it all. That he did everything we could not do. That we don't have to do. That he was great and extraordinary so we could simply rest in his work. I pray today if there's one here who needs to rest in that saving grace, that today would be the day that they let go of their sin and cling to you as their savior. Father, help us all to stop striving for things that aren't going to matter in eternity. Help us to simply rest in who we are in you and allow you to do your work in and through us. In the good name of Jesus, we pray.